Good morning, church uh, here that meets in ARPC. Beginning this month of August, uh, we are preaching from the uh, Johannine Epistles. And uh, we pray that the Lord will achieve the purposes of His Word as we uh, preach from it, as we uh, study it together. Now this morning, uh, we shall look at 1 John chapter 1, uh, that uh, incidentally Pastor John read for us. Now, I have an interest in con movies and documentaries. So if you ask my kids, uh, they would tell you that I've already finished watching Reinventing Anna and Tinder Swindler, to name a few. And recently, I bought this uh, book uh, from the bookshop. Slide comes up. It's called Authenticity, Reclaiming Reality in a Counterfeit Culture. I bought the book after reading what the author revealed about Snapple drink. That the words, according to her, that the words natural, naturally, and apple appeared three times on every bottle of Snapple apple. But then, if one reads the description on the back, one would discover that Snapple apple contained no apple at all. But... Filtered water, sugar, pear juice, concentrate, citric acid, natural flavors. And in case you are wondering what is the definition of natural flavors, natural flavor is a tasty or aromatic extract from anything that was once alive. And when beverage manufacturers print natural flavors on the labels, they need not reveal where the flavors come from. And according to Jamie Oliver, extract from anal glands of beavers is used to flavor vanilla, strawberry, and raspberry products. That is natural flavor for you. So Pastor Roger, please do not bring strawberry ice cream tomorrow. (laughs) Now that I have your attention, here is what I gathered from the book on cons. The word con man comes from the words confidence man. The confidence man, he has a refined, respectful appearance that somehow gains your confidence. So if you apply that to drink labels, attractive and neat design, picture of a sliced apple, they gain your confidence and trust. And so you are sold. Secondly, and a slide comes up, or it already came up, is that all cons are frauds, but not all frauds are cons. Whereas most crimes are done to you, the con is a crime done with you. Which means that when one is conned, he is not always merely a victim. He is conned because he is a participant to the con, to the crime. I mean, think, for example, overstock luxury items for sale at half price. So when you get that notification, you know that they could be fence goods, stolen goods, or imitations, and yet you still buy them. You are a participant. Now, the letter of 1 John is a pastoral letter, is a pastoral letter that is written in response to a con. So John writes to warn his hearers against being participants in the con. 
He warns them against welcoming the con men and sharing in their wicked work. So you read that in 2 John chapter 10, or rather 2 John verse 10. So what exactly is the con? Now, if you followed uh, uh, last week's uh, ser uh, sermon, uh, commentaries tell us that it could be, the con could be, a mixture of Gnostic and Docetic teachings that somehow infiltrated the church. So Gnosticism, it is a movement that claims to have special knowledge that somehow belittles the historical facts about Jesus. Example, Jesus' birth and Jesus' resurrection. On the other hand, Docetism is a teaching that is somehow heavily influenced by Greek assumptions uh, with Platonic and Aristotelian varieties, according to one systematic theologian. So this systematic theologian, Millard Erickson, says, and let me read, quote, he says, Plato taught the idea of gradations of reality where spirit or mind or thought is the highest, while matter or material is less real. And so matter came to be thought of as morally bad. Now, Aristotle, on the other hand, he taught the idea of divine impassibility. So what does that mean? Divine impassibility, that God cannot change. God cannot suffer. God cannot be affected by anything that happens in the world. So he's distant. He's not affected at all. But that in reality, he is not. So, uh, Docetism tells us that God is numb to the world. Docetists then, they taught that Jesus, because of Docetism, he did not appear in human form. He only seemed to appear. Jesus appeared as an apparition. He appeared like a, in a ghostly figure because they believe that God could not have undergone the modifications in his nature and incarnated. So God, they say, could not have exposed himself to the experiences of human life, end of quote. And so to the Docetists, the physical nature of Jesus was simply an illusion. So if there's a theme song for that, it's the song, Illusion. Jesus is just an illusion. People who claim to have seen Jesus actually saw an apparition, not a real human being. And in today's description, they saw Jesus in a hologram. And so why must the church be warned of such a con, of such a false teaching? Because, we already learned, false teachings promote false living. Wrong teachings lead to wrong living. Now remember, you are not a victim of the con, but are a participant to the con. So as soon as people were conned into believing they had superior knowledge, Gnosticism, they had superior knowledge compared to the rest, that as soon as they believe themselves to have reached moral perfection, what happens is that they now believe that they are free from sin. They are free from sinning. As soon as they bought the con that the body, matter, is evil, it now did not matter what one does to the body because it is hopelessly evil anyway. 
So false teaching leads to lose living. And so how does John warn his hearers against the con? Well, in 1 John chapter 1, he does three things. Three things. Slide. He uh, proclaims Jesus' humanity and divinity. And then he preaches Jesus' teachings and their implications for his hearers and for us. And lastly, in the first chapter of, of this epistle, he preaches Jesus in order to promote fellowship. You can close that slide now. Now, because the con men were teaching that Jesus was merely an apparition, that uh, he did not come in the flesh, John proclaims, slide, in verse 1 to 2, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. So if you look at, uh, go back, verses 1 to 2. If you look at that two verses, you will notice that John used verbs of the senses, right? He used verbs of the senses to attest that Jesus was not an apparition. He was not a ghost. John says he has personally seen Jesus, and not only him, but the apostles too and others. And so John testifies that Jesus did come in the flesh. And if the false teachers had claimed some superior knowledge, notice that John hinted that his knowledge was far superior. He says, that which was from the beginning. And so he alludes to a pre-creation, pointing to God, the Creator. He was the Word of life, and this uh, giver of that life, eternal life, has appeared to John, to them, and they testify so. So John proclaims the humanity and divinity of Jesus. He said so too in his gospel. Next slide. So in the gospel of John, verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. And then verse 3, or rather verse 14, next slide. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So John confirmed that Jesus, through whom God made everything, came to this world. He took on the flesh of man. He had a physical nature. And John's confirmation refutes the false teaching that God could not have exposed himself to the experiences of human life. Because we all know when we read the Gospels that Jesus did. He exposed himself to the experiences of human life. For instance, he came by being born. You know, Jesus was not dropped down from heaven like Mr. Bean. But he came being born. 
And then we read that he grew up physically. We read that he had to be nourished by food and water. We read that Jesus had the same physiology as us because he experienced hunger, he experienced thirst, tiredness. Jesus experienced them all. Lastly, Jesus experienced suffering like we all do. And yet, in a magnitude that we do not. When he suffered and died on the cross for us. The humanity and divinity of Jesus is an important teaching that John sought to defend. For one, Jesus's, because of Jesus' humanity, he was qualified as our great high priest. The great high priest who experienced human temptations and yet one without sin. And by his body, he provided atonement for us so that we may be forgiven and reconciled to God. John proclaimed the humanity and divinity of Jesus. Now, secondly, John preaches the teachings of Jesus, and he spells out their implications for his hearers. So according to John in his gospel, Jesus said this. Uh, next slide. Okay. Jesus taught in the gospels, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus also said in chapter 12, verse 46, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes me should stay in darkness. Now John, in his epistles, he says, next slide, this is the message that we have heard from him, from Jesus, and we now declare to you, and what is that? That God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. Now friends, oftentimes that when we talk about light, when we talk about darkness, uh, we refer to illumination. We refer to radiance. We say, for instance, the living room must draw a lot of light because you want the living room to be bright. But the bedroom, we say, can be blacked out dark. And so we refer to light and darkness as measurements of illumination. But light and darkness here in John's Gospel is used in an ethical sense. It's used in a moral sense. So when John says that God is light and in him is no darkness at all, he is saying that God is the source of holiness and righteousness. He is the source of goodness and truth, that there is nothing in him that is unholy, nothing unrighteous, nothing evil, nothing false. There is no darkness in him. And so if Jesus, God's Son, is the light of the world, then the implications are that those who follow the Lord will have the light of life. They do not walk in darkness. And you read that from the Gospel of John chapter 8. Those who believe in Jesus come into the light. John chapter 3. But then those who hate the light 
stay in darkness. John chapter 12. The implications of Jesus' teachings that John points, us, points to us include this. Next slide. Anyone, he says, who claims to be in the light but, hate his, but hates his brother is still in darkness. And he continues and he says, whoever loves his brother lives in the light. Now this is found in chapter 2. John would later preach on the indispensability of love as a product of following Jesus, as a product of following Jesus, the light of the world. The reverse is also true, that one who hates his brother cannot be living in the light. He is still in darkness, and he needs rescuing. Now, but before we talk about the indispensability of loving one another, a primary step is needed. That is, now that the word of light, that the light of the world has been proclaimed, the important step is having fellowship with the Father and the Son, Jesus. Next slide. John says, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. John preaches Jesus. My last point, it's going to be a short sermon. John preaches Jesus to promote fellowship. Why? Because it is his objective in proclaiming Jesus. He wants us to have fellowship with him and with the Father. And that fellowship is attained when you and I turn away from our sin and when you and I put our faith in Jesus, in Jesus to forgive us and to make us new. So once we were enemies of God, but Jesus makes us friends with Him. That is fellowship. Now, though the word fellowship is not found in John's gospel, uh, the idea of fellowship is present. So let me give you a few examples. When Jesus prays to the Father, that the disciples may be one just as the Father is in Jesus and Jesus is in Him, that oneness is fellowship. Then when Jesus says that the Father and the Son will make their home with one who obeys Jesus, that also is fellowship. Fellowship denotes one's intimate relationship with the Father because of Jesus and through Jesus. Those two prepositions are very important, because of Jesus and through Jesus. Now, this relationship, this intimate relationship with God the Father because of Jesus and through Jesus does not stop there. It extends to others who have the same relationship. And that is why John says, you also may have fellowship with us. And so John's purpose in preaching Jesus is so that the fellowship that the apostles had with the Father and the Son will be extended 
and will be experienced too by his hearers, by all who believe in Jesus. And such fellowship has for its end joy. That's the purpose of the fellowship. The apostle John's joy and his hearer's joy as well. But then for the fellowship to continue, for the relationship to thrive, obedience to Christ's commands and faithfulness to Christ's teachings is called for. John says, next slide, he says, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So what is John telling us here? He is saying that fellowship and unrighteous living are incompatible. They're not compatible. And so one cannot say, and John likely is pertaining to the false teachers who promote false living, one cannot say that he has fellowship with the Son if he lives in sin. That doesn't work. That is not true. One cannot say he has fellowship with, the, with Jesus if he lives in sin because fellowship with God is characterized by obedience and faithfulness to God's command. Not only that, fellowship with God and with one another results in Jesus' continuous work of making one holy because the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. That is why when you read verses 6 to 7, you should not stop there because the next few verses are important. It cannot be detached from verses 6 to 7. So let's go to verse 8. Let's jump to verse 8 first. It says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now, a few days ago, in our staff meeting, we played a little bingo game. Are you familiar with bingo? Yeah, okay. Because I thought it just belonged to my generation. So we had a little bingo game at the start of our staff meeting. Mona distributed bingo cards that have on them, instead of numbers, examples of sin. Sins like, I lie, I give in to temptation, I cannot stand my boss. She had to put that there, huh? And 21 other sins. Okay, because if you're familiar with the bingo card, there are 24 boxes, right? The one in the middle is a star. And uh, as soon as I glance at the card, I shouted, Bingo! But uh, there's no price. Why did I shout bingo? Because I cannot claim to be without sin. We all cannot claim to be without sin. If we do so, John says, we are lying. John says, we deceive ourselves. And his conditional warning here perhaps could allude, address to false teachers who might have believed that they somehow 
attain a level where they are already sinless or a belief that they held uh, 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 a belief that they held to that sin in the body uh, because they believe that matter is evil uh, sin in the body does not affect them spiritually at all John's conditional warning might be addressed to the false teachers he says, you all deceive yourselves if you complain or rather if you claim to be without sin. But then that conditional warning also applies to us. To us who refuse to reflect on our actions, who refuse to check our motives, who refuse to examine our thoughts. It applies to us who deny sin by blaming our sin, I don't know, to illness or tiredness or upbringing, and then we make a lot of justifications for it. So it, it is addressed to the false teachers, but it applies to John's hearers, and it also applies to all of us. Furthermore, if we proudly claim that to be without sin, Guess what? We make God out to be a liar. Verse 10, next slide. Sorry, next slide. Thank you. John says, if we claim that we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. So God gave us Jesus not to inspire us, by the way, it's not to make us wise, it's not to motivate us. God gave us, gave us Jesus because we all sinned. We all fall short of God's glory. We all stand condemned because there is no one righteous, Scripture tells us. No one righteous, not even one. God gave us Jesus to suffer and die on behalf of our sins. And so to claim, no, not me, I do not have sin, that is to make a mockery of God's sending His one and only Son. And so take heed of that conditional warning. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar and His word has no place in our lives. It was John Stott who says, rather who said, the proper Christian attitude to sin is not to deny it, but to admit it, and then to receive the forgiveness which God has made possible and promises to us. Next slide. Sorry, previous slide. Chapter 1, verse 9. John now says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So John points out sin in us. But he does not do that to make us wallow in guilt and shame. Rather, it is in order for us to experience joy that when we confess our sins, our faithful and just God will forgive us and cleanse us to make us holy. 
So John proclaims this beautiful message. He preaches Jesus so as to promote fellowship, fellowship that is full of joy. Perhaps, my friends, our definition of fellowship is a bit shallow. What do I mean by that? Yes, we may take fellowship to mean that we study God's Word together. We take fellowship to mean that we pray together. We agree to the doctrines that we are taught. We take fellowship to mean that we share food and sometimes a little too much. What's missing? What's missing? What's missing is the bingo card. What's missing is the confession of sin. Now, why is it missing? Could it be that our increasing knowledge of scriptures somehow deceive us into thinking that it lessens our sins? That we somehow think our knowledge of scriptures is inversely proportional, proportional to our sins. The more we know about the Bible, the less our sins become. Be warned how the Gnostic teachers have fallen. It was knowledge. It was knowledge that led them to cancel awareness of sin. Beware. Because the truth is, the more we study God's Word, the more we teach it, the more we should see our sins exposed by the Spirit to us. And so the more we run to Jesus to confess our sins and find forgiveness. Now, if you read about the different scandals that hit celebrity preachers and teachers, read about it, you will have observed that one common trait among these celebrities is the absence of the confession of sin. Did you notice that? The celebrity preacher is never wrong. He is not accountable to anybody. And he says, when you point out to him, he says, oh, I'm accountable to God. When the celebrity speaks of his sins, he refers only to his sins of yesteryears, but never his present sin. And because of his current celebrity standing, he does not have sin. He better not. And so he does not ask for forgiveness. He does not even say sorry. On the contrary, one preacher on the contrary claims that it was God who told him sorry. And so I caution my fellow pastors, do not be that celebrity preacher. I caution DG leaders, do not be that celebrity teacher. If we walk in the light, if we have fellowship with one another, we do not claim to be without sin, but we confess. And the blood of Jesus, that's a good news, purifies us from all sin.
perhaps for our fellowship to deepen, why not promote confession of sins to God? So that we all will be humbled and we all experience the joy of being in a fellowship of forgiven sinners. John proclaims Jesus as humanity and divinity. He's seen Jesus in the flesh. He's seen the glory of the Father. He proclaims Jesus as teachings that we become children of light. He preaches Jesus so that you and I, so that we may have fellowship with the Father and Son and with one another. Let us pray. We give thanks, Father, that you have spoken the truth through your word, reminding us that we are all sinners who need your Son, the Lord Jesus. Far it be from us that we claim to not need Jesus because we do not have sin. But may the Spirit always point to us our sins so that we may confess to you, run to you in forgiveness, and find salvation. We give thanks for this epistle where your servant, the Apostle John, proclaims having seen your Son, the Lord Jesus, in the flesh, the glory of the one and only. And we pray, O Lord, that we who have fellowship with you and fellowship with one another will likewise proclaim Jesus to others, that they also may find forgiveness and new life in him. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.